morning, everyone. It's lovely to see you this morning. Um, people supporting Spain today? Oh, wow. <laughs> supporting England today? Okay, it is, it is coming home. Um, and if you're here and you don't uh, support, well, if you support another team or you don't care, you are really welcome as well. Um, <laughs> I'm going to dive straight in. So for Bethan and I, we, we, we took a, a bunch of time off over July, and we were just really fortunate again. We went up into the Italian Alps, and so click. It's amazing. So we, we did a bunch of walking, including there, which is on the foothills of the Matterhorn, which is the Toblerone Mountain. Um, and I don't know about you, but are there times when you've looked at something in the natural world and simply gone, wow? Or maybe you've looked up at the night sky, and again, you've just thought, oh my goodness. Now, maybe you've had, then, then asked the question, well, how did all that get there? Was it just the result of some cosmic big bang? Well, that might be your view. Personally, I don't have enough faith for that. So then maybe uh, you think, well, there's a divine creator, and if there is a divine creator, then he must be awesome, right, to have done that. And then you might think, well, if, he, if that being, if God is able to create the cosmos, then he can look after every detail of my life, right? But that's often the place that we find a challenge. Because I think oftentimes... Our view of God is too small. Our view of God can be too small. We may believe that he put the stars into space, but we can be unsure whether he will get us through a cost of living crisis. We may believe that he made the mountains, but are unsure if he's big enough to get me through the fears and anxieties that I face. A small view of God can mean that we struggle to trust him with our families, with those that we love, with our jobs, with our careers, with our health. A small view of God questions whether he can meet all of our needs or whether we're going to turn to substances or sex in order to feel fulfilled in life. We live in a culture that since the sexual revolution has essentially said to us, if we're attracted to someone, we should have sex with them. That is the fulfillment of human relationships. So the question we have is, are we going to buy into that narrative? Or are we going to have a view of God that trusts him to meet all of our needs and to fulfill our lives? Big questions. But I believe that our view of God is often too small, but it can change. And it can grow and it can expand day by day by day. You may be here today and you have no view of God. I'm delighted you're here. And I hope that you hear something of God reaching out to you today. We're continuing our series, which we've entitled Timeless, Songs of the Old Testament, looking at some great songs of worship. And today we're going to think about a song that leads us to the awesomeness of God. You know, you should always reserve words like awesome for things that are truly awesome. Awesomeness of God. If you have a Bible, could you turn to Habakkuk chapter 3? 
It's a small book in the Old Testament. It's one of the minor prophets. That does not mean un- uh, doesn't mean not important. It simply means they're generally short books. Um, if you don't know where Habakkuk is, that's why there's an index at the front of your Bible, or why online gadgets are amazing. Let me just set this into historical context for us. The first king of Israel, King Saul, started to reign in 1050 BC. There were uh, him, his son, uh, well, then David and Solomon. Um, and then in 930 BC, Israel divided into two kingdoms, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Israel fell to the Assyrians in 722 BC. Jerusalem and Judah fell to the Babylonian Empire in 586 BC. Habakkuk was a prophet, and he spoke in around about 640 BC. So this places him in history. So just looking at that timeline, what you'll see is this, that the fall of Israel is in close memory. It's just a couple of generations before. So they would have had that as part of their narrative in their heads. And at the same time, it was a time when injustice and idolatry was rising in the nation. And as you'll see in chapters 1 and 2 of Habakkuk, they're very aware of an increasing threat from the Babylonians. They could see that coming. Chapters 1 and 2 of Habakkuk records this prayer conversation between Habakkuk and God. And what you'll find is that Habakkuk is confused as to why God is going to use a very evil people, the Babylonians, to bring justice on a less evil nation, and in fact, God's own people. And he's kind of like, what is going on? He's confused. He has a lot of questions. He has a bit of a rant. And then I think he has a bit of a light bulb moment because there is a change of sort of tone. And you find that in verse 3 of Habakkuk, uh, sorry, verse 1 of Habakkuk chapter 3. And it reads like this. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigianoth. What that means, Shigianoth is a musical term. The message translation actually translates this with orchestra. And if you jump down to verse 19, you will see a little thing that says, for the director of music. So Habakkuk chapter 3 is a song. It's prayer in the form of a song. In the vineyard, most of our praying is done through our songs. So it's a song. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. This is the start of his song, his great prayer. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Do them again. Do them again. And then he prays a great prayer or sings a great song. And the end of this song in verse 19 reads this way. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. It seems to me that his view of God has grown. His faith has been fueled. He's gone from ranting to rejoicing. So my question is, what happened to him? What happened to him? And how can the same thing happen to us? So I'm going to dive into verse 2. As I've been just reading this story the last couple of weeks, it is a beautiful journey of how Habakkuk's view of God gets bigger. 
as the awesomeness of God captures his head and his heart. And I believe the same can be true for us as well. Three phases. Three phases. The first, Lord, I have heard of your fame. Lord, I have heard of your fame. The message translation put it this way, God, I've heard what our ancestors say about you. I've heard. And then in the following verses, what he does is he recalls some things that the Lord has done amongst his ancestors, down through the story of the people of Israel. I'm going to just scoot through it very quickly. Verses 5 and 8 are signposts to the plagues that came upon the land of Egypt when the Israelites were in captivity. It points to the Exodus story. Verse 6, it talks about the creative power of God. Verse 7, it it recounts some stories when God delivered the people of Israel out of the hands of their enemies. Verse 11, he recalls a story in the life of Joshua in a battle at Gibeon when the sun literally stood still for a whole day. He remembered that. And then in verses 8, 14, and 15, he points to the great story in the people of Israel. You know, when they've left Egypt and they come to the sea and they can't go forward and the Egyptian army is at the back and then the sea parts ahead of them. Great stories from their history. So my question, what about us? And what about you? I'm I'm looking for a witness this morning. I'm looking for some amens. I haven't even asked you the question yet. You're on fire. (laughs) Can you recall times when you have seen something amazing in the natural world and thought, God, you are awesome? Can I find a witness? Amen. Can you recall a time when you were held captive in your life by something, maybe a pattern of thinking or an addiction or a habit or a pattern of sin, but God brought you freedom? Can you remember a time? Amen. Can you remember a time when you were facing a battle in life, something that you could not overcome, maybe in your health or your finances or a situation at work, but God overcame? came it. Amen. Can you remember a time when you could see no way forward? You felt completely hopeless. It was like you were completely pinned in, but God made a way for you. Can I find a witness? Amen. Lord, I have heard of your fame. Secondly, I stand in awe of your deeds. Habakkuk goes from recalling events, and that's really important, to being in awe of the one who acted in those events. He goes from recalling them to being in awe, to worshiping the one who had acted. The message puts it this way, I'm stopped in my tracks, down on my knees. His head and his heart's been arrested as he's recalled these things. And then the third phase, repeat them in our day. Repeat them in our day. Let me just say, I don't think this is a song of nostalgia. This is not Habakkuk saying, oh, I just wish things were how they used to be. I don't read it that way. I think it is a song, a prayer that cries out for the God who is awesome 
to break into our world and into our lives just like he's done before. And it's a cry that says, Lord, and the message puts it this way, do among us what you did among them. What you've done before, Lord, do it again. So what about you and me? How can we go on a similar, because I love Habakkuk's journey, don't you? goes from ranting to this. It's amazing. How can we go on a similar journey such that our heads and our hearts are captured by the awesomeness of God? How can, how can that work for us? Well, I think those three phases that we've, we've just looked at in verse 2 can really help us. Three phases. I have heard, I stand in awe, do it again. Should we say that? Should we say, I don't know. Should we say that together? Because I, I want us to get this. I have heard. I stand in awe. Do it again. Humor me one more time. I have heard. I stand in awe. Do it again. We could stop now. I will unpack them. Just to share some of my thoughts. Hearing God stories is so important. So important that stories of the awesomeness of God get into our heads and our hearts. And here's just four ways that I have found helpful. Scripture. This is the primary place that we go to get God's stories, right? This book, if you didn't know this already, is full of stories of people encountering the awesomeness of God. Ordinary people that are just encountering an extraordinary, loving Lord. And then it got written down. That is amazing, isn't it? That these stories would get written down so that they can get into our heads and our hearts. One of the things that I'm doing at the moment, I, I often use these little books by, books by a guy called Tom Wright. So this is Mark for everyone. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. And I use these devotionally at the start of my day, um, just taking a little bit of scripture, and then and Tom shares some of his thoughts. And he is a very smart guy. So I'm reading through Mark's gospel right now. You know what? Jesus keeps doing awesome things. Paid, and Mark is a very fast gospel. You keep finding that straight away, immediately. You know, it's just like awesome, 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 just all the time. Get Scripture into us. Engage with Scripture every day and hear what the Lord did amongst our spiritual ancestors. So important. Secondly, what I found really helpful is to read biographies and autobiographies, stories we can get God's stories into our lives through reading the stories of other Christians. So I went out to some of our preaching team and said, hey, share some great books with me. So this is, these are some of mine. 70 Great Christians, I found is a really good book. It starts with like Peter and Paul and then goes through to people of the last few years. So not only does it give you like 70 great stories of, you know, good Christian people, but gives you a sweep of Christian history of the last 2,000 years. Jonathan Edwards and uh, Smith Rigglesworth, they just kind of like get the hairs on your neck going. Um, next one. So Bonhoeffer. These are, Rick, thank you. These are, you know, if you want some meaty stuff, 
Bonhoeffer, William Wilberforce, uh, Paul, uh, the biography that Tom Wright has written. Great books. And the next slide. Um, there's a story from the, from the origins of YWAM, um, C.S. Lewis's story, and a book by Eugene Peterson, who authored uh, the message translation of the Bible. We're going to put all of this out on the What's On email this week. So don't worry if you're kind of thinking, Andy, I couldn't write that down quick enough. But I'm going to encourage you, grab autobiographies, grab biographies. They help to get the stories of God into our lives. Third thing, incredibly important that we hear the stories of God from the people around us, people that we're doing life with. Small groups, that's one of the reasons small groups are so important, that week by week we're hanging out with people and saying, hey, what is the Lord doing in your life? Every couple of weeks as a, as a staff team, we get together, we have coffee, we worship, and we share God stories. That's what we do every fortnight. Get, gathering every Sunday together is so important so that we don't miss out on God stories. In fact, so much of this sharing of God stories happens over coffee and donuts. One of the most spiritual points of our whole morning together, and I say that with all seriousness, as you chat with somebody, you hear the stories of what the Lord is doing, and you've got a cup of coffee in your hand. That's why hanging around to have coffee is incredibly important as part of our Sundays. The Thanksgiving Sunday that Alarina Manish had already referenced on the 3rd of September. You know, if you've got a story from the last year that you can say, I'm thankful to God for that, we're going to make space for a whole lot of people that morning to share their stories, short stories that just give thanks to God. So if you've got a story, then go to riversidevineyard.com stories, put a little note there, or you can email me right now. I'm going to choose that if you get your phone out right now, you're not getting ready for the football, that you're just pinging me a message. We would love to have a load of those stories shared on the 3rd of September. Fourth thing, fourth encouragement. Remind, it's important to remind ourselves of our own God stories the things that we've seen God do in our own lives. So I encourage you, write down what you see the Lord doing. Journal, put it in Google Note, whatever it is, however you best capture that, but write down the things that you see the Lord doing in your life. Because what you'll find is that as you reread them, like in a year's time or 10 years' time or 30 years' time, you will remember something of the awesomeness of God that you experienced in your life. And it's a part of getting that awesomeness of God to capture our head and our hearts again, to catch those stories in your own life. The Apostle Paul writes this in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. Habakkuk chapter 3. I have heard of your fame. Hearing God's stories fuels faith. If we have a view of God that is smaller than who God actually is, the God stories help to fuel a bigger view, a more true and real view of who God is, because they're one of the ways that we capture the awesomeness of God in our head and our hearts. So that's the first thing. I have heard. Second, as we hear, we worship. We stand in awe. We fall on our knees. 
we raise our hands, we lift our voices, we clap, we dance, you know. There's not a lot of things in the Bible that are like you don't do in worship, right? There's a lot of bodily, vocal, hard expression as part of our worship. One of the things that I love about worship is that it reorientates our lives. It gets things the right way round again. So if we are tempted to think that we personally are awesome, worship brings us into the presence of the one who really is awesome. And that's sobering and humbling when we realize that we're not all it, but he is. Equally, if we don't think that we're up to much in our lives, Worship orientates us to the one who thinks that we are. That we're one that, you know, you remember the story of the shepherd who leaves the 99 behind to go after the one. And he does that for us. He's the one who loves us and who calls us sons and daughters. And worship orientates us. So those days when we're feeling like we're a worm, worship. Stand in awe. Get down on your knees in front of the one who says that I love you. Worship orientates us. And thirdly, cry out for more. Cry out for more. I have heard, I stand in awe, do it again. Do it again. Do among us what you did among them. Do among us what you did among them. Lord, please do it again. Let me just share a few things that we might be able to hang that thought on. Are you concerned, even just a little bit or a lot of bit, about what's going on in our culture right now? The, the disorientation around issues of identity and gender, for example. I, I am deeply concerned in the world that not only we are living in, but our children and young people are growing up in. Deeply concerned. But at the same time, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Because it's important that we hear what's happened before in times of uh, cultural tumult like we're in at the moment. That difficult times so often precede Holy Spirit moving times. So often. So here's a couple of examples. You might think of the civil rights movement in the US, which was sort of mid, mid to late 50s, early 60s. Time of huge cultural tumult in the US. But then you have the charismatic renewal of the 1960s and the Jesus people movement and all of that. So in times of huge cultural tumult preceded a powerful move of the Holy Spirit. You might think of the sexual revolution through the 1970s. And then for us in the vineyard, this is a dear thing. On Mother's Day in 1980, a guy called Lonnie Frisbee turns up at the Anaheim Vineyard, speaks at an evening service, at the end of his talk, prays, come Holy Spirit, and he did. And you read the accounts, and the place was wrecked. And I don't think we in the vineyard or other streams have been the same since. So off the back of huge cultural tumult, the Holy Spirit moves powerfully. You might read about the Welsh revival, the Hebridean revival, Azusa Street, other times in history. And as you read those things, your heart shouts out, Lord, do it again. What you did among them, do among us. Lord, do it 
again. One of my favorite vineyard songs of the last two or three years starts like this. God of our mothers and fathers, come now and move among us. What you did before, come and do once more. We want to be a part of your story. Now, this, as I've said, this is not a nostalgic thing. You know, I've been thinking in the week, well, what does, this, what does this look like for us here at Riverside? You know, Bethan and myself have been part of this church for nearly 32 years. I think we're only kind of out-surpassed by probably Rick and Lulu and Alarine. And there are times where, as I reflect back, well, let me say this first. We absolutely love what the Lord is doing amongst us now. We absolutely love that. And at the same time, there is something in our hearts that just longs for more. But it's not a nostalgic longing for the good old days, because they've gone. We are here now. And so the cry and the prayer and the song that we find in Habakkuk is a cry that the awesomeness of God that we've seen before would break in again and more and deeper and wider. Lord, do it again. What you did among us before, do among us again. And I'm going to come to a close because I want us to have plenty of time to pray this morning. Personally, I want to encourage every one of us to bring to mind times where you have experienced the awesomeness of God. Bring to mind, recall, remember those powerful encounters with Holy Spirit. You know, times, I can remember times where you're like, I, I will be flat on the floor and snot everywhere. Remember those times. If I was wearing mascara, I'd have been like a panda. Maybe you were someone who was wearing mascara and you ended up like a panda. Because, you know, there's just snot and there's tears everywhere. Powerful encounters with Holy Spirit. Remember those times where you can just remember the Lord has met you and it feels like your life has just been undone. Just undone. Times when you just know that something has shifted in your life. It's like, you, don't know, you can't quite quantify it. It's just like something has just powerfully changed through that encounter with Holy Spirit. Times where, you know, I, I, times in ministry where maybe it feels like, you know, every person I've prayed for and laid a hand on, they've just got healed. Or maybe every time you've prayed for someone to be set free, it's my, they were. Or you, 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 you're in that kind of space and that season where it's like you're having words of knowledge and sharing with people and, people, and it's like, my goodness, it's like I am actually reading their mail. Like the, and it's just like profound revelation that the Lord is giving. And you just remember some of those times and you're hearing the prayer of Habakkuk and you're saying, God, do it again. I don't want that just to be a distant memory of powerfully breaking into my life or through my life seeing your kingdom come to other people. I don't want that just to be a distant memory. I just don't want that just to be an, an item in my journal. Lord, what you did among us back then, do among us now. Lord, do it again. Do it again. I have heard. I stand in awe. Lord, do it again. Do it. Amen.